da, 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 da. Tell me what you've been up to in the last, uh, what? It's been two weeks, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It has been two weeks. It's been a busy two weeks for me, so for me personally, it doesn't feel like two weeks, but yes, it, it's been very busy. Do you even know where you're at right now? Yeah. I, I, I think so. I'm on a podcast. I don't know who's, but I'm here, and I'm present, and I'm on time, so I, I've got good things going for me. Oh, well, that's great. Well, the, I mean, on my end, guys, um, I want to say, say right away, I got tricked into uh, Devin's little scam here. I now own a set mm-hmm. of uh, these yeah. things. I bought three of them, actually, because I just have that many rechargeable batteries. And I am actually excited about this, Devin. And he's this is probably he's, one of the coolest things. He's going to buy more, too. You just watch. They're addictive. Pro tip, guys, if uh, you're in the market for one of these battery chassis the yellow seems to be the most affordable it's like five dollars and 75 cents to get one of these so swing over to amazon use devin's link which is on that uh last video we posted and you can pick one up today that'll help him out i think he said he's earned ten dollars so far so (laughs) congratulations devin on my end, guys, as you can see, I'm hotel-bound. Um, I've been in this little cramped space off and on for the last month. I did just manage to go on a small shoot yesterday at uh, Mount Hood, which it, it's snowing up there. It's not snowing down here, so I got a little bit of fun weather experience, hence the long sleeve shirts somewhere behind me. Uh, on that note, though, let's just dive right into the news. First yeah. thing on the list here, Devin, is this ridiculous uh, piece of canning kit uh it seems as though everybody's jumping on the bandwagon of getting a camera that looks a little bit retro and canon is no exception but this exception is really ridiculous they've basically just released a t6 body that is gray with a faux leather plastic handle uh mm-hmm. price is 550 so no savings whatsoever or really much of a price hike but what do you think about this stupid freaking <laughs> camera from yeah. canon? What what that sounds doing? like a loaded question dj DJ. Uh, no, first off, I don't even think it's faux leather. It's probably the same rubber they use. They just painted it brown. That's it's honestly what it looks like. But I mean, because here's the thing, right? The whole aesthetic, and I get it. And even though I may not purchase gear that fits that aesthetic, I get people who really like that old school kind of like chrome uh, brown leather, you know, kind of thing from the old school of, you know, 35 millimeter film and all that other stuff. But in this situation, like, it's plastic. It looks plastic. It does not look like a fancy chrome thing. It looks like a modern DSLR that's like mocked up. To me, it almost looks like um, if, if some third-party company was to release a DSLR and they want to stand out from the crowd, they would give it this kind of aesthetic so that people can notice it. And to me, I'm like, no, that doesn't look chrome. It doesn't look fancy. It doesn't look old school. It just <laughs> looks stupid. Um, and it looks even more stupid considering that every single single lens you put on this camera also will not match. Um, now understand too, like there are certain parts where this aesthetic kind of works. And uh, what I showed DJ a little while back, uh, a year or two ago, I bought my girlfriend a Pentax Q7, which is an incredibly small micro uh, interchangeable lens camera. The, the pictures and everything aren't fantastic, but it is like the smallest interchangeable camera you can get. Um, and it shoots okay. And it even shoots video. And it even has like in-body stabilization and a few other cool things to it. So it's it's not worthless, but it's some, something you wouldn't buy for you know professional work. It's a high 
hobby thing. But those, they sell lenses that match some of the body types. So, you know, the girlfriend, if she wanted that gray and black aesthetic, I could also get gray and black lenses for it too. And it would all kind of match and work out here. So at least it doesn't look hodgepodge. But this right here is just... Well, I, we have we have cameras like uh, the Olympus Pen F that just look beautiful. They've gone with like chrome metal and everything. But uh, turning your camera gray, you know, the same plasticky build because it's not silver, right? And it's not uh, chrome, and it's not metal. It's just gray. And and then on top of it too, I if they at least kept gray and black, I I wouldn't be like it's the end of the world. But the fact that they went gray and brown, and then all the lenses are just flat black, I'm like this just looks mixed up. This does not look cohesive. <laughs> It doesn't look stylish, and I wouldn't be surprised if these start going $50 cheaper than, you know, an all-black counterpart, just because I'm not sure who exactly is going to buy this. Now, while we're talking about color, really quick, uh, going on to Amazon, are you one of those guys that will pay the extra 10 to $15 to get an item in black as opposed to whatever the regular <laughs> color is that's a little bit cheaper? No, not particularly. Like, it, it really depends. There's a few things that I do, but most of the time I go for what's cheapest. So a lot of my stuff comes multicolored. Like, uh, the, when I 3D print, the color of my filaments usually determined by the lowest price, not by, <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily by what I plan on printing with it. Now, next thing on the list here is something else ridiculous, and this is a new, I, I don't want to say ridiculous, it's just weird. Zoom has been sort of innovating in the uh, camera market, uh, so to speak, and not even action cam. They've basically been taking small action cam sensors and attaching them to mics and then releasing them into the world. And this is no exception. This is the Zoom Q2N. It is basically a combination of the H2N and a camera all in one. Prices is going to be about 159 you can get these for pre-order right now or you can get them shipped in the gray market speaking of gray ha, ha, uh, from uh from ebay or i believe they're even showing up gray market on amazon for about 185 uh, it, it shoots 1080p it has a rather large microphone and other than that nothing too crazy to report but uh it's not priced too bad devin if you could use this as a go-to webcam, would this be better than some of the uh, uh, other offerings out there? Uh, I'd say for sure. I think one part where I don't think Zoom is considering this as a market, by the way, that they're not branding or attacking this demographic, but uh, there's kind of this really big gray area, and I know this kind of extends beyond video, uh, but of uh, people who want to do web conferencing, and they're either too small of a business or not willing to spend literally 30000 a year on proprietary video conferencing solutions, and they want some Something that let's face it like logitech has done nothing with their webcams for like ever so they, they want something that's like got better audios more modern easy to set up all that kind of stuff uh, but they're looking for higher quality, especially in the audio department, because let's face it, with video conferencing, that still is the most important part is the audio. And that's the part that's probably most lacking in things like the Logitech. Um, so when you consider that kind of solution, uh, I could see this as a video streaming situation being really useful for that. I can also see, too, as Facebook Live uh, becomes more and more popular and you've got all these other different streaming platforms. Um, I mean, we even see that our action cam, the Yee action cam that we're fans of, uh, is going after video 
video streaming. Um, this just makes sense. And while uh, no one looks at Zoom for like camera quality, if they're at least, you know, kind of hitting decent quality, which it looks like they are, 1080p video, 30 frames uh, with a wide lens, you know they're going to be able to nail the audio part. So setting up a live streaming situation in the back of a venue or setting up a live streaming situation at a wedding for like family members who are overseas to watch or something like that. Like there's lots of, this is very utilitarian. This isn't something like, oh, I bought it to go do this because it's pretty well priced, but it's not enough to justify one thing. Um, but I could see this being really useful in a lot of different ways. You also mentioned too that um, you can use it as a USB audio interface. So it can also become a decent XY microphone just for you to use for yourself. I could see this being really big for video game streamers who uh, like don't want to bother with a whole lot of technical stuff or they don't want to bring out an arm and all this kind of microphone stuff while they're playing a video game. So like it's weird. There's a lot of ways where I could see this being really good, but I don't know if they'll market it that way. Well, that's the weird thing, though, Devin. If you think about it, uh, the microphone placement for this, that, that's a microphone that you kind of want to have up in your in your grill, so to speak. So sure, yeah. uh, if you have it up here, then how is that going to really utilize the, the camera of that? You, you know what I'm well, saying? It, it okay. seems like... <laughs> Uh, ill-conceived design you could see it that way but whenever yes. i see that x well when when i see that xy uh, microphone configuration that's not something where i go we're doing a good recording we're going to get the best audio quality we can for me that's more of an environmental sound we want to capture a stereoscopic image of what is going on around the camera and so in that sense, I wouldn't consider that you'd want to hold the mic up to your face like you would most other mics. Does that affect, you know, the quality of the sound? Of course it does. Um, but in the same regard, that's kind of what Zoom is known for. They stick these XY mics on every single product they make. Heck, you can attach them to an H8 if you want to. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I think that they're kind of meant to be used at a distance so that you're properly taking advantage of that XY pattern for having a stereo image. And I think that, that and they figure since it's going to be some distance away, throwing on a wide lens is good enough and it'll get the job done. So like I said, this isn't like, here's the best way to do this production. Because obviously for us with podcasting having these you know a big mic in front of our mouths is a, a the proper way of kind of doing this kind of production to have really great audio quality uh, but I could see this as being a pickup solution for somebody who's not tech savvy to record video or whatever else uh, where their their primary purpose is kind of getting that audio across and that's where I see video conferencing I see video gamers and a few other things and streamers that are worried a lot about the audio quality but know that the video quality will suffer a bit for it now we could go a little bit more expensive and at 349 zoom does have the q8 and at 249 they get the q4n and q4 the thing about this and you'll notice the placement that's why i brought up the placement of the mic in, mm -hmm. in this particular design you know you have the microphone in the back and this has one of the interchangeable capsules so you could set that up for kind of whatever your purpose sure. meant filming you're doing plus this guy actually has xlr inputs on the back behind this fold out system so you a route and then you could uh, legitimate good clean audio into your uh, podcast or to your video production or whatever 
Yeah. I don't know about all of these. I do know that you'll it doesn't, spend... Uh, it doesn't fit for us, man. That's what I'm trying to tell you, DJ. Like, we are not the demographic because we know how to set up a camera, set up a tripod, and do all this other stuff. That being said, there aren't many people who know of the Zoom name for audio quality except for guys like us. So it's a weird place to be in because really it's ideal for somebody who likes audio but doesn't know shit about video. And that comes but, down to, like, musicians and a lot of other people. Here's the deal, though. I would gladly spend four or five hundred dollars on an off-the-shelf, easy-to-use solution where it's like, here's your pro webcam, top of the line with an XLR audio input. You plug your favorite microphone into it, bam, you're done, and that's it. And it all goes over one single USB cable into your computer sure. and then out to the internet. And it, it's you know pre-optimized, does all the compression for you, takes care of everything. That would be great. You know what I'm using right now? I've got a Zoom H6. I've got a freaking <laughs> adapter that goes from H. HDMI to USB. I've got that mm -hmm. coming into X Splitter and doing a numerous other things that are all freaking annoying just to set up at a little table here to do the podcast right now. And <laughs> that's ridiculous. Like, if you could have something simple and easy that had a good looking uh, camera, you know, a good looking lens mm -hmm. on it, good sensor, was capable of good audio, I mean, you could throw Logic Tech under the bus and people are still spending $120 to $140 on some of the Logitech uh, webcams because they're the top of the line. It, that's, that's ridiculous. It, it sounds like what you're looking for is a webcam probably like micro four thirds within uh so you can put on whatever lens you want and xlr input and then have Absolutely. all of that with a like usb interface for being captured and streamed on a pc like yes, that's that your ideal perfect. product <laughs> that's exactly what i don't I think that'll ever get made i just uh, i have this feeling that technology isn't moving in that direction <laughs> speaking of things that we don't think will get made and now we're finally going to live uh look at this here Devin, and i know that the stock picture of the Canon 85mm <laughs> f1.2. Uh, but camera rumors are that uh, we should be seeing an 85.14 from Canon sometime in 2017. Uh, they've already made patents on uh, this particular design last year, and there's been rumors that the lens was coming for quite some time. We were actually expecting to see it with the release of some of their uh, IS built-in uh, primes that they were uh, putting out there. But Canon has uh, basically... Uh, negated the 1.4 in the 85 market forever where everybody else seems to have one. Are, are you excited at all about this? I mean, now that we're moving away from Canon into Sony products, <laughs> is this still something that we're, we're going to jump on? I don't know. I don't think that... Um it's once again like Canon lenses uh, while there have been some improvements very like they already make great lenses to begin with so any improvements are always going to be kind of minor but at the same time um, are we talking about an eight and a half millimeter that um, didn't the original not millimeter? I'm sorry 85 millimeter that doesn't have image stabilization because doesn't the original not have any yeah, the 8518 does not have image stabilization. Neither do, there there wouldn't be any room for image stabilization in the 8512 that's right. just glass from front to <laughs> end. But uh, they were talking about a possible 8514 with IS and that we would have, have actually the seen the 8518 with IS from Tamron. So it's a possibility uh, 14 you're getting a little bit bigger as far as glass is concerned and maybe mm -hmm. a little bit harder to accomplish and Canon's IS lenses 
been what like f2 f28 something like that right it's it's one of those where uh you know it's th- i just don't expect anything more from canon than what they've already delivered in terms of lenses um i just i'm not sure how much innovation that they're going to have because they they're doing stuff like this where in photography i'm not sure any photographer could tell the difference shooting with any of their lenses minus some autofocus speeds and things like that and i, I mean i don't mean to really use much of a broad brush but overall it's like it's all fantastic glass you pay for that fantastic glass and that's the end of the story um i think the only way that lenses for these kind of mounts and stuff like that become interesting is when you have third parties come in that are providing comparable performance for a lot less and now there's something interesting to talk about but this kind of feels like more of the same thing from canon which isn't a bad thing it's working out well for them and i'm sure tons of people are going to pick up and buy it because canon has that following and they have that audience but overall it's something that i can't say i'm all that interested in because it's not a whole lot different than anything else they've produced and i don't expect a whole (laughs) lot of innovation out of a lens per se uh but it's one of those where um i don't know if they're doing low cost like cine glass like more prosumer level pricing on their cine glass or something else like that there'd be more interesting stuff to do and they've they've made a few interesting lenses over the years but something like another 85 millimeter at like a slightly different speed um you know image stabilization would be great if they throw that in uh but it's one of those where i'm just kind of like oh well there's there's a better version of this lens that's already out a 1.2 so it's kind of like ah (laughs) you know yeah, but the F one two has such uh, such poor autofocus performance. At F one yeah. four, you could probably squeeze a much better uh, AF performance out of that lens because you're not moving as much glass. Plus, the eighty five sure. one two is fly by wire. So uh, those right. are two things. I'm I'm kind of in a weird spot right now because I own a ton of Canon glass, but I don't own any cameras that I really shoot. Uh, that are Canon right now. I mean, I do have a T2i left, but I've sold my 5D Mark III. I got rid of my 5D Mark IV. I got rid of my 6D. I, I don't have any high-end Canon cameras to right. shoot with my Canon glass, and I am adapting it most of the time to my Sony cameras, but at, at this point, I'm kind of thinking, like, well, wait a minute. Well, why don't I just sell that <laughs> glass and buy Sony glass and be done with it? Well, here's here's a question I want to ask you because you have the metabones and all this kind of all these toys that I don't uh, you know get to play with. Uh, when you put that Canon glass on the Sony, are you getting really good autofocus speeds? Or since you now own Sony glass, do you find that you have a better experience using the native Sony glass on a Sony body? Oh, the the native Sony glass is way better than Canon glass to a Sony body. I will say that the metabones adapter for uh, micro four thirds to Canon glass is phenomenal in autofocus mm-hmm. speed. Like it, it does a great job, way better than any other adapted setup I've used. Uh, for Sony to Canon, though, meh, it's it's <laughs> a pitiful. So then, uh, so I then mean, it, it works, makes it hard to justify great. if you don't if you don't have that five well, D, then it makes it hard to justify. The one thing I will say that's positive about using Canon glass on a Sony body is that uh, with Sony native glass, you have to dink around in the menus to try and get it to go to uh, manual focus or to get it to go to one press focus. It, mm. it, it always wants to default to autofocus in video mode all the time. And you, it, it's kind of a pain to dig through the menus and figure out well, what you need to change to fix that. But with adapted Canon glass, uh, you know, it immediately defaults to one press focus or 
super uh, manual focus, so you don't have that problem. You just go up half press like you would on a Canon camera, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And that is convenient, and I wish they made it a little bit easier to and that get sounds that like setup. a software problem. Once yeah, again, Sony and their menus. <laughs> and, and I'm probably just being lazy. There's probably like a, an easy way for me to set that up and save it to a preset and, and figure that out, but I, I just haven't gotten around to it because uh, now that i have uh three sony zooms uh you know i just kind of grab those most of the time when i'm shooting the camera <laughs> unless i need really shallow depth of field so i don't know i'm i'm holding on to my canon glass for now but i'm kind of in a bad way about canon cameras uh, i've been thinking about a 1dc or mm-hmm. maybe if the 5d mark IV falls below like 2400 dollars or so i might sure. go back to pick one up but i'm kind of holding out to see what comes from uh the G- H5. And speaking of which, uh, we we didn't put this in the show notes, but you we and I didn't. have been kind of talking about this for a little while. The new DJI camera uh, was announced, and uh, what was 5.2 meg or 5.2K? Yes, uh, 5.2K uh, video. Yes, and is that's that one of regular 16.9. Is that it, it, what are they doing with? Um, I Devin on spot here. Yeah, we didn't even put any we... of this in the show notes. <laughs> um. That that new DJI camera, which is a little bit bigger of a body, um, and I don't even know if there's word yet on if it's going to be uh, still compatible with the old stick, the Osmo system or whatever that they have going on. But everyone's really excited about it because I believe at the same time is I think it's 5.2 at RAW as well. Um, so like oh, really. Yeah, it's supposed to be something ridiculous. I'm imagine they have to do something like a four to one compression ratio to get that to fit on a micro SD. But um, yeah, the DG uh, is a five S, five IS, or something like that. It's people. Uh, the reason why we're interested so much um, is because there's a lot of talk about that being the exact same sensor that will be in the GH5. And so if the new DJI camera, raw or not, um, is doing 5.2K. That leads people to believe that with enough horsepower and pipes and everything else in the camera, that something like a GH5 should be able to hit 5.2K. So, and that's something that Panasonic hasn't mentioned anything about. They mentioned a 6K burst mode, um, and they mentioned 4K, obviously, at 10-bit. Or is the is the 4K? Yeah, 4K is 10-bit. So it seems like there's a lot of pipes, there's a lot of power, um, but there's no word on if they're going to do 5 or 5.2K. But that would definitely be interesting. Now, I imagine DJI is doing 5.2K just because uh, they don't have enough power in their camera to do any kind of, like, uh, crop that they need to do. DJI right now is pulling up the actual, like, sensor data on how much coverage that sensor has. And, I, it, man, it'd be really cool if the GH5 came out and said, yeah, we do 5, 5.2K video. Well, that's kind of where uh, the GH4 was, was a 4K uh, mm-hmm. GH4. Well, what if the GH5 is 5K? I know we, we've, there was speculation <laughs> for a while that it might be 6K, and we are seeing that in the burst mode for photos. Uh, I would love to see, uh, even if I don't need it, uh, everything, and then I'll decide what I need. Uh, the template for I am excited about. I am not as excited about the possible pricing for the GH5. Uh, Olympus uh, OMD One Mark II hit two thousand dollar mark, and it's like it's right up there to where there's enough cameras in that same competition range that uh, it makes it less attractive. I have a ton of glass for Micro Four Thirds, so a GH5 
if it offers enough at uh, at maybe uh, fifteen or sixteen hundred dollars, I will definitely jump on it. Even two thousand, maybe we wait for a month until there's those uh, gray market eBay deals. You know what I mean? And it yeah, down just a little bit. I, I it seems a little bit pricey though. For me, yeah. I mean, the the two thousand seems pricey, but also too, if it's five k, that's that would be a, definitely a notch above even what Blackmagic sells their cameras for in terms of K versus thousands of dollars you spend on it. So for me, even at $2,000, it's already a buy, but this is coming from a guy who has yet to own a 4K camera yet. You know, I always rent and I haven't gotten around to buying one. And that GH4 is still really attractive coming now under $1,000. I don't know anyone who wouldn't buy it if you're interested in the DSLR format. But uh, yeah, with that new one and all these features and 10-bit and everything else, else it's an obvious buy for me just because all of my glasses already set up as that because if, if it wasn't a gh5 then i'd probably be selling all of my glass and going towards a different system uh than micro four thirds possibly like an fs5 or ursa or something like that which would be larger glass cannon whatever so uh, for me it's already a buy unless it's complete garbage and then i sell everything and i move to a different system <laughs> but i, I complain I, but uh, go ahead, Devin. Yeah, I mean, I just was going to say it's, but the GH3, I mean, GH2 was kind of a cool thing. I mean, it was stupid for people to be like, it's better than an Aria Alexa, but the GH2 was kind of cool. And that hacking got it really popular. And the GH3 didn't have any hacking, but oh my gosh, what a workhorse, what a great camera. And then the GH4, another workhorse. While everyone may not believe in the whole it being filmic uh, image and all that other kind of stuff that goes with it, in terms of like, hey, here's a video camera. Uh, that's in a DSLR form factor that's just a workhorse and there's no like 12 minute limits on video files or anything like that it just it, it I imagine the GH5 is going to have that same Panasonic heritage of like being a solid camera right from the you know the first day you buy it and with seeing what they do with the GH4, all those firmware updates over time that added features, Panasonic is very dedicated to keeping their products alive and keeping their customers happy. And let's face it, that's more than Blackmagic has ever done because they always sell half-baked products and they fix it later with firmware. And even Sony now is pushing out products way before they've been properly tested and they got to fix stuff later with firmware. We've seen problems with the FS5 having all kinds of codec <laughs> issues. We've yeah. seen problems with the A7S with like the sun, the black spot thing which black magic had a problem with years before they did so like there's all these things where people are just fixing it later and the only two companies that don't have a fix it later mentality has been panasonic and canon so and right now canon isn't it doesn't seem they're totally interested with pushing video in their dslr form factor uh but panasonic is so that's why i'm really excited and i think panasonic will deliver a good product yeah, I, I'm, I'm, to be honest with you, Devin, I'm going to buy I'm probably going to buy it. And I'm, just, I'm <laughs> complaining about $2,000, and I, I spent, what, almost $4,000 on a 5D Mark IV. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, it's still much more affordable. It's just, uh, it's always been the bastion for, like, the top end of the low price. And now it's more in the middle of the pack in terms of price are concerned. Sure. And then, you know, the A7S Mark II and the A7R are falling down into the $2,500 range. You know, that puts you only four or $500 away from the cost of the GH5. Uh, all the features that they're going to cram in there, the only thing I'm concerned with, and I've seen your GH3, I've played around with the GH3 and I've played around with the GH4. Remember how fast my menus were, Devin? Oh, sure, GH3 yeah. Three menus. Yeah. 
but I at the same concerned. time, <laughs> well, that could be possible. Uh, here's the thing. I really should do like an investigative journalist thing on the menus on the GH3 because when I first got the camera, I never had that issue and they were always fast. And I feel like maybe the second or third from more update maybe around that time it just started to get slow and it never got any better so i never like i should be asking around with other gh3 shooters and stuff like that see if they have really laggy menus too because i feel like the first month i bought it everything was great and it just got slower and slower over time and i learned to deal with it but um you you may be totally right they they may put too much into this camera where the camera operating system itself has trouble keeping up uh with some of the features and i mean we are talking about moving a lot Lot of data. Uh, me and DJ have been speculating over if they're going to do an H.265 codec uh, HECV or something like that in order to cram all this 10-bit data down onto a tiny memory card. So depending on what kind of uh, sidecar chips they have and everything else in the camera, uh, you know, it, it, it could be not a problem at all, or it could be that uh, they overburdened this thing, and because of the price point, they didn't put enough power, or because of heating issues, they're worried about overheating like the Sonys do, uh, they didn't put enough power in there that's going to cause a pretty crappy experience. But your GH4 experience has been pretty much flawless. Yeah, I love my GH4. Let's dial in on that uh, uh, H.265 thing we were talking about, because Devin and I, even though we do the show once every other week or once a week, uh, we still get together online every once in a while and rant about different stuff we're looking at. And uh, Devin's concern, or didn't think that H.265 would appear in the new uh, GH5. And for me, I, I started sending him links to different uh, <laughs> CPUs that have come from ARM over the last uh, four or five or three or four years. Because 2000 and what was it, 2012 or 2013 was the first ARM processor that had uh, real-time decoding, encoding mm-hmm. of H.265 on board. So that's three years for, can- or for uh, Panasonic to develop a body and the rest of the stuff around a ARM processor and those processors were, were well able to handle that kind of throughput. Now, my issue is, and, and Devin and I both played around with this, uh, I was like, Devin, we'll download some H.265 4K and try and it and see what happens. It brought my machine to its knees and I'm, I'm working on a quad core system, which isn't a yeah. slouch by any means. Uh, so the issue I'm concerned with is if we do go the H.265 route, which would make sense for the 10-bit 422 and the UHS-2 uh, read speeds that they're recommending for, or write speeds that they're recommending, uh, are we going to have systems that are fast enough to handle this or are we going to have to transcode? I mean, I, I, I still don't i'm not totally uh, sold on it being h265 but if it is yeah there's going to be a bit of a learning process i wouldn't be surprised if like the gh3 and i think the gh4 but you'll have to tell me um if they'll include multiple codecs uh because that's one thing that always kind of impressed me i mean like a lot of your dedicated video cameras usually only include one codec uh like you take black magic and like they have ProRes. Sometimes it'll have DN, DNX HD or something like that, or the 4K version of that. But most cameras come with like one codec and that's it. And maybe if you, like with earlier cameras, if you paid a lot of money, you could get an MPEG-2 codec inside of whatever they're using. But the GH3 came with um, an AVC-HD, which I mean, it's kind of an H.264 with different parameters and yep. profiles and stuff like that. 
Um, but it's a, I believe because it's a Sony codec or something along those lines, it's a different license uh, than the you know H.264 that they are using in their MOV wrap. Uh, so there's there's always like a bunch of different settings and a different bit rates and everything else. And uh, we, we, I'm not going to bore everyone with you know going into codec details, but uh, even H.264 has several levels of compression, and I'm talking beyond bit rate. So uh, you can have lower bit rate and higher quality just by having uh, more time being spent on the encoding process or having a more powerful chip that's doing the encoding. So uh, I could still see it being uh, H.264 or there being some kind of ABCHD H.264 option shoved in there because if they do do H.265, you're right, a lot of people may struggle to edit it. We don't have dedicated H.265 chips built into a lot of the ways that our edit software works. I mean, like I've spoke about with you, it's like Intel has H.264 built on board to their chip and Final Cut X users are like, wow, look at how fast Final Cut X is. That's all due to it using the built-in chip on the Intel, which is directly attached to the processor. It's like the fastest coprocessor you can get is right on the central processing unit as opposed to the GPU, which is the second best part. So... You, you combine all that, and it's uh, and then Premiere has been ignoring Intel for a long time on uh, their built-in processors, and they keep choosing to go with CUDA or OpenCL, you know, some kind of graphic card solution. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the way to program it across multiple operating systems. I'm sure it's not on purpose. If they could use the technology, they probably would. Uh, but um, th- those kind of chips come H.264. There aren't a lot of onboard people with CPUs and everything else that support H.265 natively. That's why I think we're still several years out of really seeing that being mainstream as something you directly edit. Now, that being said, H.264 was the same way. No one could edit it. Everyone was transcoding yep. it. But then again, too, that was also back... What, four years, three years before uh, CPUs probably, ramped up? <laughs> probably four years, but I feel like by the time CPUs ramped up, uh, you started seeing coprocessors that were doing a lot of the heavy lifting for you, as opposed to, um, like, when people were transcoding back then because of H.264, the real reason they were transcoding is because they are using Final Cut 7, and 7 only supported, like, three or four codecs. So <laughs> it was one of those where it's like, you know, that's why it, Premiere will be interesting because Premiere supports H.265 out of the box already, and... And maybe they've been prepping for this to happen with their new proxy feature. So actually, uh, I did load some H.265 clips into my timelines to do some editing and immediately got a warning from Premiere that said, I have to go out to the Internet and download support for H.265 in order for it to work. So, Which means I, it's not natively programmed, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so it's not really there yet. And then if you look at GPUs, uh, the GTX 900 series, I think was the first one to have inbuilt uh, H.265 coding and decoding uh, on a processor with the GPU. So mm-hmm. we're at the like first stages of that. And I think if I had um, an eight core processor or six core processor in my system, as opposed to my quad core, I'd probably have been able to edit that H.265 footage uh, without issue. But uh, mm-hmm. I was chugging at full res and even at half res in my premier timeline, which is uh, <laughs> it makes me a little bit nervous because uh, I well, have a lot of money okay. invested in my system. And if I, I do end up going that route in the future, like, how long before I've uh, obsoleted my desktop? 
I, I here's the thing. I feel like proxies are the way to go. Um, just in general, moving forward, like H two six four. Uh, while you're used to editing and everything else, to me, H two six four still cuts like crap inside of Premiere. And I mean, really? I don't have the new. I, I don't have the newest system. I mean, I'm talking about having an i seven twenty seven hundred K or something like that. It's several generations old, but. There's so much delay and lag uh, when scrubbing the timeline and timeline performance and waiting for it to start and everything else. And I notice all that is directly attributed to H.264. So when I actually use the new proxy features in 2017 that automatically generates proxies in the background and replaces it, also in my editing experience, I fly through footage faster than I ever did on H.264. So even though the system may be capable of H.264 and cuts it pretty smoothly, um, I still start looking at doing some kind of proxy workflow uh, because because it's so easy to do and it doesn't require me manually encoding and doing a bunch of crap it's all in the background where i don't have to worry about it um i don't see h265 going to be that much of a problem yeah when i start editing it might be a bit cumbersome and a bit slow and if i'm doing a short clip and not making proxies it may be a bit of a pain uh but overall uh that's just part of what i take on because let's face it you, you, we're not you know editing raw red footage like there's we, there's there's while there's a lot of CPU required, I still enjoy the advantage that I don't require a lot of space or a lot of data throughput. Because uh, you know, if you want to smoothly edit, you know, some 6K files from a red camera, you got to edit on like a SSD RAID. <laughs> like there's, you know, it's it's going to be pretty difficult, uh, even with Premiere natively supporting the red codec and everything else. So. For me, um, I, I, I know it'll be a bit of a pain, but I don't see it being a problem because H.264 has always been a bit of a pain. This one will just be a bigger pain. Okay, speaking of something that's less of a pain, <laughs> we've really gone down the rabbit hole on that one. Yeah, we have. Uh, wow. Let's, uh, let's back up and talk about action cams again. I mean, every time I think action cams have completely died, they come back to me, and this is no exception. One of the top action cams on the market, as far as image quality, I would say, uh, Kodak for recording as well as in-body image stabilization, and I'm talking optical, not digital here, uh, is the Sony FDR-X3000. And this camera has recently dropped in price from what used to be uh, pretty much in parity with the GoPro Hero 5 Black Edition at $399 down to $348. I ended up pulling the trigger on this one even though I don't need an action cam. But this has, <laughs> of course you do. Uh, I, I don't need another action cam, but I'm gonna, maybe I'll sell one. I've got a 4 that does me just fine. I've got that Yi action cam that's also good. I've always wanted one of these, but I didn't really have any good excuse. Save 50 bucks. Okay, that's I don't know if that's a good enough excuse. <laughs> but it's down to 348. This thing mm -hmm. has a 100 megabit Kodak XAVC in 4K. It also has the 3.5 millimeter audio jack and it has optical image stabilization. Those are all pretty awesome features and it's now priced $50 less than the Hero 5 Black Edition. Hero's been having a lot, or GoPro's been having a lot of trouble lately in the market with recalls and sales and not being on available on Amazon for a while. You think Sony's doing this just to kick them in the balls? Um, I, I think it's that they see an opportunity. I mean, how long has this camera been out? This is not a new camera. Um, I think this kind of just follows their structure of starting to wind down this camera while they're uh, getting ready to release another one. Uh, because after all, I wouldn't be surprised if they come out with something that's probably still 4K, uh, but includes a lot of those features that like GoPro has. Because 
after all the GoPro 5 coming out and having, uh, I mean, they do have stabilization, but the like big selling feature is the fact that you can talk to it and it'll do that action for you. That straight up sounds like a Sony feature to me. Like when you really think about it, that sounds like something Sony <laughs> tacks onto their tech being like, we're better. Look, we got more features. So it's one of those crazy things that um, I, I think this is definitely a good buy. You look at the quality, you look at the side-by-sides of this compared to a GoPro 4 um, or even the 5 and it's impressive and I think the glass on it's really sharp. I know Sony puts Zeiss on everything, but GoPro for a while kind of had some soft glass as well, people. So um, it's, it's and uh, to the mic jack, I think that really just gets me. You usually use an adapter for your GoPro. Um, Yi has talked about having a Bluetooth microphone for them because they don't have a mic jack, which would be kind of a cool system for a select few people. Um, but then Sony just straight up having an audio jack, being like, just plug in your mic, use whatever you want. Like, I, I kind of appreciate that, and I think Sony's been trying to go after the more professional market in terms of st- uh, the stabilization and everything else, and it's been ignored because GoPro's had some market cornered, but you're right. Now that GoPro is dropping in market shares, um, it could be that they're shrinking in the market and Sony goes, okay, now's our time. Yeah, I, I'm excited about this. I'm I'm buying one. I want to play with it. Uh, I'll probably It's probably a keeper. Uh, I, a lot of times I just need something where I can hold it handheld, uh, shoot something really quick, or um, if I need a first-person point of view, I, I end up shooting in 4K and then image stabilizing, warp stabilization. Uh, it's a pain in the butt, and uh, yeah. it takes a lot of processing power. And the digital image stabilization that's on the Yi Action Cam, it's pretty good. But uh, I would love to be able to shoot 4K and have image stabilization and have a mic jack that I can use with a loft mic so that uh, I don't have to worry about it. This is my, hopefully, my favorite action cam when I get my hands on it. Knock <laughs> on wood. Um, I hope it works out. But uh, you going to make I'll a video of it? Are we oh, going yeah, to see you play around with it out in the I, Wild West? I am, I am going to do a review video. I've got actually... Um, and right now I got three items in for review that I need to knock out. And I'm going to start work um, uh, over the Thanksgiving weekend. My wife works. And, but uh, <laughs> speaking of that, that was a great transition, Devin. Um, I did get a chance to do a quick review of this guy right here, which is the Ceramonic uh, XLR recorder. That's that SRXVM system. Uh, and it's... It's pretty sweet. Uh, Devin, I think I sent you some audio samples. This yeah. guy is, uh, what, I think $128, and mm-hmm. it basically does everything that you can think of as far as a recorder goes and sits in the same price range as a Zoom H1. Mm-hmm. XLR inputs, phantom power, a headphone output. What do you think? I mean, are you going to buy one? <laughs> well, it, you know what? It's fascinating. Um, it, here's is the thing. Fasc- is, is it really it fascinating? Is. Well, it, in a weird way of like it opens up your mind to how to think and utilize this tool because uh, it could be, you know, hey, we do a wireless boom. If the only thing you're miking is with a boom anyways – um, which, depending on your production, just may be the way it goes. Though that shouldn't be the case if you can avoid it. But yeah, if you're doing the entire thing on a boom, you have a wireless boom, he has a sound recorder, you pop in a battery, he plugs in headphones, it's all good. At the same time, I'm very apprehensive about ever, like, we've seen Tascam uh, and... 
uh, Little Darlings from um, uh, Juice Link. Juice Link. We have Juice Link. We've got Tascam. And even what? Elect- uh, what was the. Is it Electrosonic? Something like that came out with a personal recorder, too. Oh, yeah. Codes. But there's just like seven or $800. Right. Well, it's a little silly. You have this, this big range of, hey, at all these different price points, you can record, um, get really good audio recordings. For me, though, I'm always hesitant because I hate putting a recorder on a body that I can't listen to. It's one thing if there's no other option um, or to use as a backup. Uh, I did a wedding for a buddy of mine, and I actually put both a wireless pack on him with uh, a recorder in the back, that UHF, and I also put on him a, uh, a H1 with a lav mic in it too as a backup just in case the wireless went out. Hopefully this one doesn't sound like garbage. So I could see it being useful in a lot of different ways. Um, it's one of those that the price is so good and the audio quality is so good that it's like, I almost want to find use for it because it just seems like a nifty little device. I'm not in love with the ergonomics. Um, obviously they're very simple and just the basics and they just get the job done. I would have rather like, I don't know, seen a different button configuration for volume up, volume down, and like the record button to be more protected and stuff like that. But still, at the price, you can't argue. So it's to me, with the phantom power and everything else in the battery life, it it's totally makes sense if I could find an excuse for it. It's just a matter of finding that excuse. So the buttons are sort of protected. They did this weird thing, and it it is one of my pet peeves. Uh, I will be doing a full review on the main channel of this uh, probably in a month or so. They recalled these particularly because some of the microphone outs uh, aren't compatible with the shape and depth of the uh, dive on the yeah. on the XLR portion. Um, generally, I was planning on using this with a cable, so it's not that it's not an issue for me. But uh, the as pictured right here, you can see that's um, uh, some mics because of the thickness of that particular portion of the XLR female to male adapter don't quite work. Mm-hmm. But where I was going is you have to long press to get to the volume change. So it is protected. It'll stay there unless you long press and then press again to change the volume for the mic input. Uh, the sure. issue I have, though, is it also requires a long press on the record button to stop. If you mm. short press on the record button, it pauses the recording. <laughs> And you can't get out of the pause recording until you start recording again and then long press to stop the recording. So if you don't wait patiently, hold in the record button to stop recording, uh, you'll get a little like weird glitch. And I've reported all this back to Sarah Monik. And um, the only people that are currently selling this little guy are third-party vendors that got a few of the samples ahead of time. Official Sarah Monik really... Probably won't be, like I said, for another month or so. And a lot of things I've noted as well as uh, that XL issue will be fixed in the final release. Uh, But if you don't have a weird mic or something that has a strange depth for the XLR uh, input, uh, this thing will do the trick. And it is, it's really nice. I wish I had this like seven or eight years ago when, well, maybe like 10 or 13 years ago when I was first starting out. So that, I mean, because. 128 geez i could have done so much with this you know put a lav pack on the headphone jack and send it back to a camera uh, used mm-hmm. it as second sound whatever i mean it's it's freaking handy i don't know why more companies aren't doing this and then the xlr power i tested this five hours yeah five that's... hours of powering your mic that's 
That's ridiculous. It, yeah, like, that's. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's more than like the H4n does or H4n Pro. Yeah, good luck and, getting uh, a good good luck getting four hours of runtime out of the H6 with anything. Yeah, well, you that know, too. Minus the, not even the phantom power. Jeez. Yeah. So I mean, it's it it does, it, but it seems like kind of that utility device where. If you have it on hand, it'll save your butt in a numerous number of cases. But it's for me, it's kind of hard to be like, oh, I'll buy this to use it for this, if that makes sense. But it's so cheap, it's hard for me to say no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just bought one for no re- I don't even need one. I just bought one <laughs> for no reason. I own one now, and I like it. I, I, am I going to use it a lot? Probably not. But if I didn't own a bunch of other stuff, I probably will. And I, you know, I'll still throw it in my pack, and maybe if I'm traveling extremely light, this could be a source of fan and power for some quick recording or a handheld mic that I give to somebody. Now, speaking of cheap stuff, let's go ahead and skip over this uh, Aladdin light <laughs> and talk yeah. about some goofy uh, Kickstarter stuff. Devin and I generally refrain from covering Kickstarter, but uh, there's some silly stuff out there right now that we thought uh, we'd toss in the show notes. Uh, this first one is called the Arrow, and it's basically a device that allows you to throw your GoPro uh, like an arrow into the air and <laughs> videotape, you know, film, whatever is happening while that thing is flying. So the, the traditional use here is people are throwing it up in the air and then doing some kind of like open-handed smile into the camera as it comes down aiming for their head or throwing the <laughs> camera, you know, across a lake or something like that. It, it's interesting. It's not amazing. Uh, the price on this is 39 euros. So like what? Probably 60 bucks, which yeah. seems a little spendy for... Uh, you could almost buy one of those remote control foam airplanes uh, for that price. Uh, Devin, is, is this hot or not? <laughs> this is definitely not. I mean, well, it's just the pricing. If this thing came out for 12 or 15 bucks, I'd be like, sure. You know, you're out with your friends. It's kind of a cool thing. You just get it to get it. But for 60 bucks, it kind of makes it really hard to justify an impulse purchase like that. And at the same time, when we look at the video of it and the shots of it flying through the air, like by the third or fourth shot, you're like, wow, these really all feel the same. And that's because there's like camera control and how you move a camera means so much that after a couple of times of seeing it in flight, you're kind of like, this is the same thing over and over again. Like there's, it really doesn't add a whole lot to your GoPro. Um, So it's one of those that I could see like using once or twice, you know, if you're out with your friends and you're the kind of person who takes a GoPro with you and shoots you uh, hanging out with the bros. But um, hanging I, out I, the bros. <laughs> hanging out the bros. Uh, but this is one of those situations where it's just like they try to make it look cool and use it in unique ways. And I'm just like, it's just not. It's just like after the first if, – if you had one shot of this, I'd be like, oh, that's really cool. But if you make an entire video out of this, it doesn't look that cool as opposed to something like um, a GoPro stabilizer, which, heck, in a year will probably cost like 80 bucks. Um, those things you can use for an entire video, and it'll help make the whole video look cool or look better, what have you. So for me, like it just because of the pricing. I'm not saying it's a terrible product. I'm just saying that if it was 15 bucks, I would have already bought one because I'm like, oh, I'll throw it in the backpack and you know, well, I'll use it later. But no, not, not for the prices they're asking for. 
Now, speaking of terrible products, we do actually have a Kickstarter that has been overfunded, funded to half a million dollars. And this thing, it's called the Spud, a spontaneous pop-up display. It is basically a soft box with a projector, a Pico projector on the back. And you are led to believe that this would be the greatest improvement in your life as a screen for your laptop or for demonstrations or possibly to give some some sort of presentation in front of a large group. This thing is goofy. This thing is ridiculous. And Devin and I were both uh, <laughs> uh, shuddering at the fact that people are going to spend $380 on this uh, silly contraption. Chime in, what, Devin. I mean, yeah, this, what's what's wrong with this? All right. What's wrong so, with this thing? Because there's a list. All right. So we're talking about rear projection. I think the most important thing here is that uh, rear projection, like any other projection, even if it is rear, um, it's heavily dependent on the lighting environment in the room. Now, rear projection can actually work pretty well if you have like um, a high transfer medium, um, kind of like a glass box or something like that, like a, a diffuser. Uh, to, to give you an idea, like your DLP TVs that do rear projection, or even those super old TVs that had like three little light tubes in them that would do rear projection, those TVs are black when you turn them off. And that's because of the way they control the environment, the way they're using a diffuser, and like you're kind of looking through it and you're seeing blackness inside. So therefore, they're able to get very good blacks, per, respectively, of what they are, so that they can kind of be up there and look like an LCD or something like that, which or plasmas, which have way better blacks, or oh my gosh, show LED. This case, this is a white screen. So literally, when uh, it's transmitting black or not transmitting any light, um, that little pixel is going to be as bright as whatever the environmental light is that is shining on it. So you can think of this as really front projection, not rear projection, because that is the kind of medium it's going through is just a projector screen, which means that everything's going to be washed out. There's not going to be any blacks. You're like barely going to be able to read any text. Um, on top of that, let's say that they nail things like focus. You can kind of tell by the product images that uh, it's like bowed in a lot of ways. So I'm guessing there's going to be overscans. It's maybe hard to use the toolbar on your Excel sheet if you're using a product like this as a secondary display. Uh, but oh my gosh, like they advertise battery life and everything else. But I think DJ, you said it best. It's just like a picto projector and a softbox for, I don't know, <laughs> $400. And it'll probably work as well as if you shoved a Pico projector inside a softbox box. Yeah, this thing is ridiculous. And then looking at a lot of the images, if you if you watch the actual video, uh, it, it almost looks like they rotoscoped uh, the actual displays onto the projector because the rooms are in bright light. There is no way in God's green earth that that would be capable of projecting enough light to compete with like windows and other light sources. I don't understand what people are thinking. Maybe this is really awesome, and Devin and I have just missed the boat on it, but. <laughs> On top of everything else, this is also huge. We're not talking a little device here. When this folds out, it, it's it, it's like it, five five to eight inches deep, plus the tapers off at the end, and you have the projector attached to the back. So you're talking like a foot and a half. I, you're going to set I, this on your desk? That's ridiculous. It, look, it, it, it is deep. In a, in a world of, of flat panels and everything else, I'm not going to knock it back for being kind of big because when their perspective screen green is 27 inches as they advertise yeah it's it's like a 27 inch tube it's 
a really big piece to put wherever, <laughs> but it's somewhat collapsible and portable. So I'm not necessarily going to knock on it for that. But uh, when you consider like, I don't know, the light quality and everything else, to me, it's just not going to be usable unless like other projection technology, uh, you're in a dark room um, because this isn't acting as rear projection that being said do you give it like three years i bet you and we'll probably have roll up oled screens that if you want that portable display you can prop it on a little easel or something like that or something to stretch it out and you have a display you can take anywhere with you a second monitor for your laptop what have you who knows where the technology is going to be but like rollable screens have already started to become a thing and they've already been in development for long enough that I think DJ can agree with me. We only have a couple more years and some high priced roll roll up screens will be coming out. Well, there, there's two, two ways to do that. Uh, one is the, this, the translucent layer. Uh, but the other that I've seen that was really interesting was a, a paint on system. Uh, they could actually, uh, energize three layers of paint to create like a substrate that would allow uh, black and white projection. And th- they haven't quite got to color with that mm-hmm. yet, but, uh, it's only a matter of time. The, the only issue though, with those, those, uh, rollout, uh, OLED screens is, is light projection. You still require a light source and sure. if you edge lit those, they look like crap. So right. you really need a really even source of light to put behind those to make them, uh, pop. Well, it's and that- great if you want to just like roll it out on a wall or something and put a, a panel behind it. But when you want to do something like, uh, set it next to your computer and unfold it and fold it back up again. I mean, it might be a little tricky design-wise to well, figure and, out a light source. And that's why I was saying, like, OLED is probably the answer to that. When the pixels themselves can generate their own power, but they don't require, like, uh, such a high-temperature environment like a plasma, I feel like then it can kind of approach the ability to be somewhat compact and rollable. But, yeah, this for me, this is a hard pass because, like, everyone else I first looked at and went, that would be pretty cool. And then I started to see what it was like when it was turned off and everything else, and I'm like, this is all fake. Everything things rotoscoped in this video there's no way they're <laughs> going to deliver on these promises and i'm and i love that you use the term like overfunded <laughs> well this is almost as bad as uh, remember that uh, cooler that stupid bro cooler oh, that yeah. had like speakers and a blender and a bunch of other stuff in it and uh, oh my gosh and it, it got funded to several million dollars and then you know uh they're having trouble meeting their goals or their deadlines or it's on amazon right now you can buy that on amazon right now i kid you not amazon's got like a like a kickstarter section or what startup products or something like that and i saw it on there for like four hundred dollars or something stupid you you know what's the funniest part is that when you see them being like this is the product we're going to sell you and they're like it even has a bluetooth speaker and you see them pull out that like 15 dollar bluetooth speaker that's been on amazon for five years (laughs) that you know like piece of garbage or whatever well i mean it's not that bad it's a good deal for 15 dollars. but still like you you can tell they just hodgepodge stuff together and just kind of crammed it in a cooler but like look at how cool this is and it's like no dude i that's duct tape you just found out how to use duct tape that's it (laughs) (laughs) well all right Devin. so we've gone through pretty much everything in the news Mm -hmm. do you have anything else before we get out of here uh uh, no I got nothing. I'm, right. I've been so busy with editing and everything else. It's been a long week for me. 
I'm lucky at least my working schedule is a set eight to 10 hours a day. So I still have my evenings and some of mm -hmm. my weekends unless I schedule stuff, but I'm still stuck in a hotel. So, I mean, I'm using, uh, I'm looking around, I'm using like $3,000 worth of camera gears to do this podcast. <laughs> that's what I brought with me to do my shoot. So, uh, you know, like, oh, great. I'm talking into a thousand dollar microphone. Good job, DJ. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll probably be, be back. Uh, Thanksgiving is coming up uh, pretty soon, guys. So uh, there may be intermittent shows during that time. And I will be out of the country uh, the 1st through the 10th. So uh, we may not be doing we, – we won't be doing any shows unless Devin wants to do a solo show or a <laughs> show with Mitch. I mean, that, that's up to you guys. But uh, don't worry. We're not disappearing. Uh, it's just the holiday season. So we're going to be disappearing for a little bit and coming back again. Uh, on that note, Devin, where can people find you? Uh, hit me up on Twitter at DevoCut or, you know, my Instagram too. I, I love talking with you guys. And you can find me at DSLRFilmNoob.com, on Twitter at DSLRFilmNoob, on YouTube, One Lone Dork. And you can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are distributed, including SoundCloud, iTunes, and Be sure to rate, subscribe, and leave your comments because we read them, especially Devin reads them. He loves when you guys tell him how <laughs> awesome he is. So keep up the great work, Devin, and you guys will see you next time on another episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. <laughs>